focus our attention on you and study of your word. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to continue our Encountering Jesus by Faith series. Uh, last week, we looked at the Syrophoenician woman, and uh, we saw what an amazing faith she had. Uh, but this morning, we're going to see a little bit different story, and I think it's one that uh, I, I don't know about you, but I know I certainly can, can relate to. Um, there's a big difference between knowing something to be true and believing that something is going to happen. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in this uh, situation where you know that God is able to do something, but you have a hard time believing that he's actually going to act in your certain circumstance. Has anybody ever been there before? You ever, like, you know God is powerful enough, but you just, in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, but I just don't see him doing this. I don't see him coming through on this situation. I don't see how this is going to work out. And that's exactly where we're going to find this, this father in the story this morning in uh, Mark chapter 9. Uh, we're going to find this dad who, who is in a, a very difficult situation, and he comes to Jesus, and he knows that Jesus is able, but there's something inside of him that's just wrestling with, yeah, but is it really going to happen? Is it really going to happen? So we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, and to give you a little bit of background, uh, Jesus, in the previous section, he is on the mountain. He's being uh, transfigured or transformed, the transfiguration. He goes up, he leaves the nine disciples, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he's up on this mountain, and they're praying, and then all of a sudden, his body is transformed into his, his, uh, his glorified body that, that we'll get to see when he returns, and uh, Moses and Elijah are there with them, and Peter, James, and John get to see this. And then they leave, and they come back down the mountain. And when he comes back, this is the scene that he comes to. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around, this, around them and scribes disputing them. All of the sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Then he asked, what are you arguing with them about? The crowd, uh, out of the crowd, one man answered, answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive, drive it out, but they could not. So this is the start of our story. So Jesus has just been tra- transfigured. He's coming down from the mountain, and he can hear this commotion taking place. He hears his disciples arguing with the scribes. Now, the scribes were some of the religious leaders. They were ones that were very well-versed in the Old Testament laws. And they're arguing with the disciples, and it's not uncommon to find Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes kind of in a little bit of a conflict. Because the Pharisees and the scribes have their idea of how things should go. And Jesus is kind of showing them, hey, it's not exactly the way you think. And back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had given his disciples the authority to cast out demons before he sends them out. And then we we read in verse 13 of Mark chapter 6 that when they come back, they report that, yeah, we have this authority. God has given it to us. And so this man comes to find Jesus, but he's gone away. And so he says, well, I know that the disciples had cast out evil spirits before, so certainly they can do something about my son. But they're not able to. They're not able to. And you can imagine the scribes who hate Jesus. They hate that people are following him. They're sitting there, and they're just taunting them. Oh, come on. 
What's the matter? You're not powerful enough? I guess that means that your master's not powerful enough either. And they're taunting them, and they're giving them a hard time, and they're just continuing to argue with them about, well, you've done it before, why can't you do it now? And so this argument takes place, and Jesus shows up, and I love, I can imagine the scene, and you know, it says that they ran to him, they were amazed to see him, I imagine for both the disciples and for the scribes, it was kind of like that moment when your kids are fighting, and mom or dad shows up, and they're like, like, what, what's going on? Nothing? What are you arguing about? Nothing? right? They don't want to know. They all get the sense that they're in trouble because Jesus is back, and now he takes control of the situation. And this man uh, just blurts out. He says, hey, I brought my kid, and here's the situation. And he goes into great detail about what's going on with his, his child. And let's continue looking at verses 19 through 22. It says, he replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately, uh, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. Many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, I love this. Last week, we saw the Syrophoenician woman. She comes to Jesus And she begs for him. She says, have mercy on me. And here this father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And this is not the main part of the sermon, but I do want to say this. Parents, it is our greatest responsibility and our greatest privilege to come to the father and seek his mercy on behalf of our children. And I love that, and I didn't plan it this way, but for two weeks in a row, this is the story that a parent comes to, the, comes to God and says, I need your help for my child. Have mercy on me. This dad internalizes everything that's happening with his son and puts it on himself. He's going through the exact same agony. The same with the, the mother last week. She says, have mercy on me. And as parents, we know that our greatest privilege is to come before God and say, God, have mercy on me. Would you work in my child's life? Would you do something in my child's life? It is our greatest privilege and our greatest responsibility to be praying for our child's salvation. From, from even the moment before they're born, that we would be praying. Because the reality is that mercy on the child is mercy on the parents as well. Amen? If you have children, you know that. You know when they're sick and you're praying for their healing, and the moment they feel better, you feel better. And, and we see that happening here. Uh, back to the, to the story. So Jesus is talking to the crowd. He says, you unbelieving generation. And I, I believe, you know, there's a lot of debate about who he's talking to here. I believe he's talking to the crowd, but he's kind of looking at the disciples as he says it. He's like, and you're going to find out more about that in just a little bit. He's, he's emphasizing the characteristic for the cause of the failure of the disciples. The disciples themselves were a little bit lacking in their faith. And he says, how long will I be with you? It's a rhetorical question that Jesus is using over his continued distress that his disciples are spiritually dull, right? And, and I love this. You, you read through the Gospels, uh, and I saw a thing Uh, a couple weeks ago, and it talks about the different gospels and how they're laid out, and it's like Matthew, Jesus is the son of God, the disciples mess up a lot. Um, Mark, 
Jesus is, is uh, God's son, and the disciples mess up a lot. John, Jesus is, is the way to salvation, and the disciples mess up a lot. And I'm like, you get this pattern where the disciples, they just don't get it. And Jesus says, how long am I going to have to be with you? Like, I'm not going to be here forever. He knows what's coming. He knows that eventually he will die, be raised from the dead, and then leave the earth, leaving the disciples. And he's a little bit frustrated that it's taking a little bit uh, longer than what he would like, but he's patient with them. And then we have the father come to Jesus, and the spirit sees him, and it immediately attacks the boy. Now, there's a lot of, of people who wonder about this, and you have to put yourself in the, in the dad situation. Because he sees this fit come uh, when, as soon as the Spirit sees Jesus, it throws the boy into this fit. And the dad is thinking, man, is, is he going to do anything? Meanwhile, Jesus is like, like a doctor, like, so how long has he been like this? Uh, and uh, what are the symptoms again? And he's just taking his time. Doesn't do anything, doesn't act immediately, and you can imagine how that father feels watching his son on the ground in front of the one that he's come to save him, and he's not doing anything. But Jesus takes a very measured approach, and we wonder why Jesus isn't doing something, and I think there's a number of reasons. One, I think he wants the people around to see exactly what's going on in this boy's life, and then he wants them to hear it from the father. He wants them to hear all the stuff that's taking place so that when he works, his power will be even more great and greatly known because they'll have seen for themselves the distress that this boy is in. Uh, the father makes some interesting statements. He says, how long has he been like this? And the, the father says, since childhood. Our, our best guess is that the boy is probably in his teens, right? So it's been some time. And this, this spirit has taken root in his life. It's moved in and it's not going without a fight. And it's not going without a fight. And let me just tell you that I know that there are some of you here, maybe you don't have a spirit, but you, you, you don't have an evil spirit in you, but you have a, a, a habit, something that's been with you for a long time, some sin that, that has worked its way into your life and you're having a hard time letting go of it. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's uh, it, you have a, an addictive behavior that is um, tearing your body apart, alcohol, smoking, drugs. There's something here. There's some pride or greed or something that has taken root in your life. And you've sought many, many times to get rid of it. And you feel like the more you try to get rid of it, the more you come to Jesus, the more you seek his help, the harder it fights against you. Well, I want you to take courage. Because eventually we know that this, this spirit is cast out of the boy. So why does it fight so hard? It fights so hard, not because it, do, it thinks that it's able to retain control, but because it knows that its time is short. It knows its time is short. And I want to encourage you, if you're facing something, if you're struggling through something, and you're fighting that, and you feel it starting to fight against you, as you come to the Savior, just know that that struggle, its time is short. It's time is short, and then in the end, we know that our Savior wins. Let's continue looking at, at the passage. Verse 22, it says, Many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Then Jesus said, If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, I want to I, I put you in the shoes of the Father for just a minute. He hears about Jesus. 
He hears about this man who's able to heal people, who's able to cast out evil spirits and demons. He hears that his disciples are able to do it, and he knows that this is his only hope for his son. And so he brings his son to this man who's supposed to be able to heal and to his disciples, and his disciples are not able to do it. They're not able to do it. Meanwhile, other people are mocking. And then finally, the master shows up, and he thinks, finally, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. He's going to heal my boy. And as he brings his boy to the master, the one who's supposed to be able to heal, the boy's body is thrown into a convulsion by this evil spirit. So you've got to know that he's approaching with some mixed emotion. He believes that Jesus is able to. But somewhere in the back of his mind, he just has this question. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus says, if, there's no if. The question is not, and, and it's really difficult in the original language because this, if you can, uh, could be translated a little bit differently. It's not a question about Jesus, it's not a question about Jesus' power, but Jesus could be saying, hey, if you can believe, all things are possible. In fact, in in the original language, the phrase that the man uses, if you can, if you have the power, uh, Jesus takes his words and twists them and says, hey, if you can believe, uh, he uses a different word for possible, and he's like, all things are possible. And he's pitting these words against the man, trying to get him to come along and say, hey, it's not about my power. It's not about my power. It's about your faith. It's about your faith. Let's continue on and see what what happens. Verse 23, then he says, if you can, everything's possible to the one who believes. Immediately the boy, uh, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. This is a, it's a very difficult, difficult thing for us to be in this situation where we find ourselves saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now there's something interesting here that as Jesus is saying, hey, look, it's not about my power, it's about your faith. We could take that and easily misconstrue that and say, well, hey, if I have enough faith, I can ask for whatever I want. But that's not exactly how it works. I want us to look at 1 John 5.14. We're going to see two things from this verse. Uh, God answering is dependent on two things. Number one, God's will. And number two, believing faith. 1 John 5 says this, Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything, according to what? According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for, asked him for. So here's the thing. The father is asking for something good that is within the father's will. Asking for a Lamborghini is probably not going to get you a Lamborghini no matter how much faith you have. That's not how it works. It has to be within the Father's will. And so the Father asks, and Jesus, he comes to the Father, and I love this. I love that he cries out. He says, I do believe, just help my unbelief. I do believe, but there's something inside of me in the back of my head that just says, based on my earlier experience with the disciples, that there's something that's just not right. And I, I just can't get there 100%. He says, it's, it's useless, God, concealing it from you. You are the great and mysterious healer, and I can't conceal it from you anymore. I can see that you know that, I, that I'm lacking in faith, but I know that I don't have enough strength. I don't have the power to increase my faith. I need you to do it. And Jesus responds. 
When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking, convulsing him violently. The boy came out, uh, became like a corpse, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up and stood him up. After he went into the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I love that Jesus tells this thing the way it appears in the original language. He says, get out and don't even start to come back. Don't even start to come back. Don't even think about it. And then finally we see the deliverance of the boy. And you can imagine how everyone felt watching this final act, this desperate act of this demon to wreak havoc on the boy. Yet then he's delivered. And Jesus takes him by the hand and raises him up. Later, when they're alone, the disciples ask Jesus, hey, what, what was the deal? Like, we've done this a million times before. How come we couldn't do it? And Jesus says, there was a problem with your faith. You were lacking because you were relying on something other than the strength of the Father. This kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. And when Jesus says that, he's not talking about stains in your clothing, right? We've had some of those, like you're scrubbing, like this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. No, he's saying, you've got to come before the Father. You've got to rely on him for your strength. And I love this story because often we focus on the struggle of the Father, the struggle of his faith. But what I think is interesting is that there's kind of a parallel where the disciples are struggling in their faith just as much. The ones who should have known better we're struggling just as much. And so I want us to look real quick at a few things. I want us to look first at why our faith struggles. And then secondly, I want us to look at what we should do when our faith struggles. The first thing is this, that the reason your faith struggles is, number one, because you're human. You're human. Your faith is going to struggle. And what I love is that God does not expect perfection from us. He knows that our faith is going to struggle. And Jesus has compassion on this father. He knows that he's human. He knows that his, his faith is going to have highs and lows. And so Jesus has compassion on him. Jesus accepts the imperfect faith and generously works a miracle in this father's life. As we continue to grow in our relationship with him, we're going to find those moments where we cry out, help my unbelief, and gradually... Gradually, he will replace it with more and more trust. I know there's going to be moments in your life when you come to Jesus and you know exactly what God has called you to do, but in the back of your mind, you're going to say, you know what, God, I'm just not strong enough. I don't have the right resources to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. I'm not the right person. I don't have the right personality. There's no way this could possibly be what you want me to do. And it's in those moments where you have to say, help my unbelief. God, you've spoken to me clearly. Help my unbelief, and I know that you are generous, that you are patient. And I love these verses from Isaiah. Isaiah 42, we have these verses. This is speaking of the Messiah. It says, He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're that bruised reed or that smoldering wick, and there's some fear inside of you that says, if I'm open and honest before God, that he's just going to shut me off. But that's not the case. That's not the case. What Jesus does here is he raises that boy up. 
And he brings out the faith of the Father. He works with him where he is, and he strengthens him. Just know that if you're facing a lack of faith or a moment of unbelief, it's only because you're human. It's because you're human. The second reason why we have doubts or why we struggle in our faith is because our faith is often misplaced. Our faith is often misplaced. We see this primarily with the disciples. Uh, we see that they were expecting results based on past experience. You see, the disciples knew that, hey, Jesus has given us power to cast out demons. We've gone before and we've cast out demons. So surely as we come before this boy, they bring us the boy, we should be able to cast out the demons because this is the way God has worked in the past. And because God worked this way in the past, that guarantees that he'll work this way in the future. They're basing their experience, they're, they're basing their faith on their past experience rather than knowing that God could work differently and knowing that they needed to rely on something else. And the father's kind of in the same boat. He brings his son to the disciples and they're not able to cast out the demon. So why should he believe that Jesus would be able to cast out the demon? He's basing his belief on past experience. Just because God did or didn't work this way in, this, in the past means he is or isn't going to work this way in the future. And that's not the case. God is not bound uh, by any pattern or any set way of working. The second, and that kind of leads to the second part of this, which is that both the disciples and the Father had the wrong object of their faith. They had the wrong object of their faith. The disciples' faith was somewhat, I think, in themselves. They're thinking, hey, Jesus gave us like this quasi-magical power to cast out demons, and it's within us. Maybe they lost sight of what Jesus had actually given them and how it actually worked, that they started believing that, hey, perhaps that power is actually from within us. And Jesus tells them, hey, the reason you weren't able to cast that demon out is because this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. What is he saying? He's saying this kind has to come out through humility before the Father, recognizing that you don't have the strength, and then seeking the strength from the Father through prayer. That's how this works. That's how this works. And I think the disciples for a second lost sight of that. The Father in the same way. In the same way he had put his faith in the wrong object. Our faith is only as strong as the... uh, is only as powerful as the object in which we put it in. And his faith had been in the disciples, and so when they weren't able to do the thing that he wanted them to do, he was crushed, and he lost faith. And I know that there are many of us here today uh, that can relate to this. You've got your faith in the wrong thing. You've got your faith in that next purchase. And when you get it, you're let down. You feel like, my life will be right as soon as I get this, and then it's not right. As soon as I get that promotion, then my life will be better and you're let down. As soon as, as soon as we get this for the house, then our house will be complete. And guess what? Next you want something else. And you're let down and you start to lose faith that I will ever be happy. I see this a lot in the church. Someone comes to the church, something happens, someone says something and they get hurt or someone calls or doesn't call and they get hurt, and they walk away. And they walk away, why? So often because they've put their faith in the wrong thing. Church should absolutely be a place where you can come and be loved unconditionally. But that unconditional love doesn't mean that from time to time someone might have to hold up the mirror and say, hey, you see this here? 
you have a flaw, and we need to work on that. That flaw is called sin. And that should always be done in a loving way, but sometimes, because we are human, see point number one, because we're human, it just falls short. And in the process of emotion and humanity, while someone's trying to love us or someone maybe just happens to overlook us, we get hurt. And we place that blame not on the person but on God or on the church. And people walk away from the church. Why? Because they didn't put their faith in God. They put their faith in other people. And if you put your faith in other people, you will always be let down. Why? See point number one. Because we're human. Our faith is not one in other people. Yes, we should be able to trust, and, and we do hope that this is a church that is, is loving and graceful and where you're encouraged, and that when you do have sin, I mean, how many of you, if your zipper's down, you don't want to get up here on a Sunday morning and preach when your zipper's down. You want someone to pull you aside and say, hey, bud, your zipper's down. Same thing with our sin. You want someone that's going to pull you aside and say, I love you too much to let you go through the rest of your life with this hanging on your back. And when that happens, know that that process may be messy. But it's not God who's let you down in that process. And our faith is not one in people. Our faith is not faith in faith. It's faith in God. So we have to maintain that. The third reason why, uh, why we might struggle in our faith is that this, is one, this one's very real. You face an opposition that seeks to destroy you. You face an opposition that seeks to destroy you. The disciples were faced with scribes who wanted to destroy their credibility and they wanted to destroy Jesus' credibility. This man and his son were faced with a demon that literally wanted to destroy them. And we know from Scripture that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We face a very real spiritual enemy whose only desire is to destroy us. Go back and read all the things that this, this evil spirit was doing to this young man. What does the father say? Many times, it's thrown him into the fire or thrown him into water. Why? To destroy him. And in the same way, the enemy wants to attack you. He wants to attack you over and over and over again to destroy you and to, to weaken your faith, to get you to believe, oh, you know what? God's not going to come through on this one. There's no way God's going to come through on this one. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your faith. If he can plant that seed of doubt that God's not going to come through, that God's not going to do something, then he's on his way to doing that. These are the reasons why we struggle with our faith. And the question remains, what do we do when we struggle with our faith? What do we do in those moments when our faith is weak? I think one of the first things we can do, especially as we talk about an enemy who seeks to destroy us, just like that demon as it saw Jesus and even as it was being cast out and it's fighting back. It's fighting back because it knows its time is short. And so when you're faced with opposition that's trying to destroy you, thank God that its time is short. Know that its time is running short and that we have a Savior who is coming, coming quickly and will rescue us and deliver us from those things. So then when our faith struggles, what do we do? Quickly, number one, we admit the weakness of our faith. Look at verse 24, what the father says. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And I love that if you study this passage, 
you'll see that, that when it says that he cried out, that word that's used there, it means like it, it was unintelligible. He was so overwhelmed by this, by this reality that he, he believed, but he just wanted something for his son and he was struggling with unbelief. He cries out and nobody can even understand what it says, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows and he works. The father felt and owned his disbelief. We have to admit our weakness of faith. He owns his own disbelief so that the strength of faith could be revealed. The strength of faith is revealed as he admits his weakness. He appeals to Christ for help and demonstrates demonstrates insight that he attained the existence of power, not his own power, but power from the Savior. He knew that he couldn't will himself to believe. He needed God's help to do it. And so he had to admit his weakness. And that leads us to the second thing. When our faith struggles, we have to seek strengthening from God. We seek strengthening from God. In the Lord's absence, we see that the disciples had somehow lost sight of what was going on and maybe started thinking that the power was from within themselves. And Jesus says, no, you have to seek God's power, and that only comes through prayer, that you would seek his power. And in in this man, we see that he's struggling with faith, and he says, I don't have the power, I don't have the strength to do it myself. Jesus, help my unbelief. Would you strengthen me, Lord? Would you strengthen me? Uh, Going back to the disciples, Jared said this a couple weeks ago in Acts, uh, when we were in Luke 10. The disciples were powerless in their ministry because they were prayerless. The disciples were powerless in their ministry, in this case, because they were prayerless. And let me just tell you that many times as followers of Jesus Christ, people are going to come to us for help, expecting us to be able to help them, help point them to God. And if we are not continually relying on him in prayer, then we too will be powerless. We're not continually seeking his power through prayer and the study of his word. When someone comes to us for our help, we too will be powerless. And uh, this is interesting. In verse 22, the man asked Jesus for help. He says, help us. Have compassion on us. Help us. And the word that he uses the, in the original language, the verb tense means help us right now, like this one time and it will be over with. Yet when he cries out in verse 24, help my unbelief, literally translated, it would be, be continually helping my unbelief. Don't let that that pass you by. Be continually helping my unbelief. This man is is wise enough to know that this moment of unbelief is not going to be just a one-time deal. That this is something that he's going to have to face going forward. So he says, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And he asks Jesus to continually help him. The last thing I want us to see is when we struggle with our faith, you have to know that you have a Savior who will raise you up. Know that you have a Savior who will raise you up. Verse 27. Verse 27. Everyone thinks this boy is dead. Thinks that the the demon has won. But verse 27 says, but Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood. Now, I love this. If we can put verse 27 up there, I want to look at this. Who is doing the action? Jesus took him by the hand. Jesus raised him. 
And then the boy is able to stand. Don't miss this. This word took, it means to take possession of, which is really interesting to me because think about what the boy's just been delivered from. Possession. But now Jesus takes possession of the boy. He takes him by the hand. He raises him up. Uh, That word raised can mean to strengthen. It's the same word used at the resurrection of Jesus. And I love this idea that as Jesus raises this boy up, as he brings him up, it's the same thing that he does in us. When we surrender our lives to him, he raises us, he takes us, and he raises us up. And it's only then that we're able to do what? What does the boy do? He stands. He stands. I want to encourage you this morning to think, think about this. Have you allowed Jesus to take you, raise you up, so that you can stand, even in the midst of your struggles, even in the midst of those moments of unbelief, now, what's really interesting to me is as we put this last slide up here, I want us to see this, that uh, these actually parallel one another. When, you're strugg- when your faith is struggling, just recognizing that you're human is also the reminder that, hey, I need to admit my own weakness of faith, that I don't have the power to do it. Number two, your faith is often misplaced, right? So in that case, you need to seek strengthening from God. Seek strengthening from God. Make sure that your faith is in the right place, in the right object. Number three, when you face opposition that wants to destroy you, remember that you have a Savior that wants to raise you up. Know that you have a Savior that wants to raise you up. Now, I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't realize it until Friday as I was sending Stephen the bulletin stuff. But if you look at your notes uh, under when faith struggles, you have admit, seek, and know. A-S-K, ask. What does Jesus say about the disciples? He says, you couldn't do it because you didn't ask. You didn't pray. Prayer is a huge part of this. The Father's prayer is amazing. I hope, I hope it's something that I'm, I'm able to fall on my knees every single day and say, Lord, be helping continually my unbelief today. Let me believe in you. And I hope the lesson the disciples learn of continually relying on God and his power is one that I will remember every single day. I don't know where you are spiritually today. I don't know what you have going on in your life. But I know that there are some here who have yet to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And my encouragement to you is there may be struggles, there may be questions that you have. If you will call out to God and say, help my unbelief, help my unbelief, and you will be patient and rely on him, he will be patient with you. His desire is just like that boy. His desire is to take you by the hand, to raise you up so that you can stand in a new life, not one based on works or church attendance or amount of money that you give, but one based on faith in him. If that's you this morning, I hope that you'll take your connection card and check that box that says, I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. Even if you have questions, we welcome your questions. We would love to have a conversation with you about that. For those of you here this morning that maybe it's been years since you began walking with Jesus, where where is that area of unbelief in your life? What is that thing that you know God has called you to, you know he wants you to do, you know he's saying to you, but in the back of your mind there's that little bit of unbelief of, I'm just not sure. 
Would you let today be the day that you cry out, God, continually help my unbelief? Would you strengthen me in this area? Would you, number one, admit your weakness? This is what I love, is that even for those who have great faith, even for those who have great faith, there are moments of unbelief. And God does not punish us. He's patient with us. And he walks with us. And he says, let me strengthen that. And let, let me take your weakness and make it into a strength. Let me do a miracle in your life. You allow him to do that. If you have an area that you're struggling with unbelief, I'd encourage you, would you write that down on the connection card where it says comments and prayer requests? Because the elders of this church would love to be praying with you about that. We would love to be on our knees praying for you, asking God to come alongside of you and strengthen you and give you the strength as you continually seek him through prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are patient with us, that you understand that we are human, that we are all weak. Lord, even though we may have faith for salvation, that there are areas of our life that we look at and we know that we need to cry out to you and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. We trust that in those moments that you will strengthen us, that you will encourage us, that you will raise us up, Lord, would you be with us this morning and help our unbelief that we may be used for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.